Today on the Matt Wall Show, it's the first day of Pride Month and the one-year anniversary of What is a Woman, which is why we've decided to release the film for free for everybody on Twitter tonight. The only problem is that Twitter, which professes to be a free speech platform, has already told us that the film will be labeled hate speech and suppressed. So a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about all that today. Also, Target is facing major financial losses while an anti-Target rap song tops the iTunes chart. Planned Parenthood puts out another propaganda video declaring that any reason is a good reason to kill your baby. And a new survey shows that large percentages of Americans think that native tribes lived in, quote, peace and harmony before Europeans showed up and ruined the utopia. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, and political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, and that is gold. I've bought gold from Birch Gold in preparation for uncertain economic times, and you can trust them too. You can own gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. The best part is you don't pay a penny out of pocket. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? You can protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold is an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. You can text Walsh to find out why at 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Again, text Walsh to 989898. Today marks the beginning of what millions of Americans and all major corporations consider to be the single holiest month of the entire year. It is Pride Month, of course, and as you've probably noticed, the observances are well underway. Uh, maybe you've seen a bunch of pride flags everywhere. Maybe you've noticed all of the pride-themed advertisements. Maybe there's a pride parade marching down your street at this very moment, full of naked people exposing themselves to children. If you're in San Francisco, that's a year-round activity, of course. Whatever the case, pride is here. And for decades, you know, it used to be that pride was just one day, sort of like a transgender day of remembrance or the intersex awareness day or pansexual pride day, international pronouns day. But now pride is four weeks long. Can't avoid it if you try. It's the literal celebration of one of the seven deadly sins, and it simply can't be ignored. It's all-encompassing. So last year on June 1st, we decided to, um, you know, join in and mark the occasion. My documentary, What is a Woman, premiered at The Daily Wire one year ago today to start off uh, Pride Month. It was a very deliberate choice by us to start the month uh, with this film. For the film, my team and I, as you know, traveled all over the world asking that simple question in the title, just a few years ago and throughout all of human history before that, the question would not have stumped a single person. If we had made a film called What is a Woman in the year 2010 and gone around asking this question, everybody would be very confused, but confused for a different reason, confused about why we're asking such an obvious question to begin with. But we found that in 2022, it was a real mind twister. To be sure, some people you know, had no problem telling us what a woman is. The tribesmen we met in Kenya could answer the question easily, for example. So could the Vietnam veteran in uh, Washington State who runs his own store selling Star Wars memorabilia. But we found that the kind of people who celebrate Pride Month, the identity-obsessed members of Congress, the gender studies professors, the physicians who make a lot of money mutilating children and so on, they could not give us an answer. In fact, they couldn't give us anything resembling an answer. They couldn't get close to an answer. They just started dissembling, and in many cases, they ran away, or they screamed at us, or both. These are the activists, the medical experts, who will uh, tell you without hesitation that trans women are women. They'll have you fired from your job, ostracized for the rest of your life if you disagree with them. But they can't even define the word. What is a woman was an international success because most people recognize how absurd this is. I mean, don't we have free speech in this country? Isn't this what the country was founded on? Isn't it the basis for the First Amendment? to our constitution? What's the point of all that exactly if it can't protect us when we speak openly and honestly about whatever we want to talk about? And in particular, what's the point of all of that if we can't even ask a question about the most fundamental and immutable aspect of our identity? Something that's embedded at the chromosomal level, which is our sex. This is way beyond free speech. Okay, this is an attack not just on speech, but on the ability to speak basic, fundamental truth. 
In a country where speaking the truth, not your truth, but the truth, has somehow become a revolutionary act, it makes sense that What is a Woman became a revolutionary film and one of the most influential and more t- one of the most talked about documentaries of the century. We've screened the film all over the country. Every time we've gotten a massive response, we've shown it at colleges that don't allow dissent on this issue in the classroom. And since the release of the film, we've done even more to expose the damage that's being done by activists who deny the reality of biology, including at Vanderbilt Medical Center, where they abuse children for profit. Of course, we've seen laws being passed all across the country. And uh, the film, we're proud to say, was a catalyst for a lot of that, helped to be a catalyst for a lot of that. But the, the incredible positive response to the film was met with fury and rage on the other side. The film has been banned from major big tech platforms, denounced as hate speech, reviled by many of the worst people in our country. It also made me personally public enemy number one to many of these trans activists, a title that I am proud to still hold and one that I intend to keep for as long as I live. I am very much proud to be hated by these kinds of people. I don't mind the hatred. What I do mind is the censorship, the fear, the refusal to even engage. And that's why we've been excited to see the changes to Twitter this past year under new management. For the first time, the owner of a major social media platform didn't just promise to respect the freedom of speech of uh, all the users. He seemed to really mean it. Elon Musk lifted the previous regime's political bans on thousands of users, including the former president of the United States. Uh, Musk also, it seemed, eliminated it seemed eliminated Twitter's rules, which require that you respect the fake pronouns and gender identities of other users. And Musk promised transparency in Twitter's algorithm so that people with unfavorable opinions wouldn't be shadow banned anymore. They wouldn't be suppressed. And it was for all those reasons this year um, that we reached out to Twitter about distributing What is a Woman on their platform for free, you know, for all users. This is how we plan to mark the one-year anniversary of the film. And it's how we wanted to ring in Pride Month 2023. We wanted to take the movie that LGBT cultists hate the most and put it out in its entirety for free on one of the most trafficked social media platforms on the planet. And we wanted to do it on the first day of Pride Month. That was the plan. Now, as the Daily Wire CEO Jeremy Boring wrote earlier today, uh, Twitter was initially receptive to this idea. In fact, they were excited about it. They pledged to set up a, a custom landing page just for the film so that everybody could find it easily. This is something that we were happy to pay for. This is a privilege that we were going to pay Twitter for. Uh, Twitter signed an agreement to that effect. Then, after all that, they asked to review the film because they wanted to screen it for any content that might, quote, trigger users on its platform because they wanted to know, you know, how they were going to respond if, uh, when, when, the, when the film uh, proved to be controversial. Now, that was a, a giant red flag, obviously. Uh, since when do free speech platforms talk about trigger warnings to begin with? And indeed, after reviewing the film, Uh, As you might have seen, Twitter suddenly changed its mind, switched course. Instead of promising to promote the film, Twitter informed us that they would dramatically restrict its reach. They labeled it as a hateful content, and they were going to make it as hard as possible to find without outright banning it. So all the shadow bans that we uh, heard about in the past under the old regime, and we were told the shadow bans were gone, we're now being told by Twitter that they will do that to this film when we post it because it is hate speech, they said. They would ensure that it would not appear in people's feeds. Uh, The algorithm would crush it completely. We were told by Twitter that that is what they're going to do. Now, how could that be, we asked. What what hateful content were they talking about exactly? What's the, the hateful part of the film? I mean, I made the movie. I'm in it. I don't remember any hateful content. Twitter directed us to two clips in particular from What is a Woman? Uh, that they said are hateful content. And because of these segments of the film, it becomes hate speech and they're going to restrict its reach on the platform. Now, I'm going to show you both of these clips because it's hard to believe that they're really saying it's hard to believe anyway if you took their new commitment to free speech seriously. If you took that seriously, then uh, this will be shocking to you. In the first clip, a father in Canada tells us that um, he was arrested and he was fined $30,000. His crime was referring to his 14-year-old daughter as a she. The father tried to prevent doctors from uh, pumping his daughter full of hormones and tried to protect his daughter from mutilation and, um, and, uh, and, and butchery, so the Canadian government destroyed his life. And now Twitter is calling this father hateful 
And they're saying that you, you shouldn't hear what he has to say because of this clip, which we will play right now. Listen. Hello? Hey, is this This is, yes. Hey, it's, it's Matt Walsh. Are you, where are you right now? I'm, uh, I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada right now. Are you, can, are you able to leave? I'm not able to leave BC. I can't even go to another province in Canada right now. Uh, and it's because I'm technically out on bail. What happened exactly? How exactly did, did this get into the courts to begin with? Right, so what happened is we set up a meeting with BC Children's Hospital. And according to the BC Children's Hospital website, there's gonna be a thorough evaluation and I'm thinking, good, this is gonna be the end of it all. They're gonna clearly see that my child is not the opposite sex. So my ex-wife brings my child into BC Children's Hospital. I get a call less than an hour into that appointment is that they were gonna pump her full of cross-sex hormones within the hour. And I put a halt to that. I said, no. They agreed to, to stop for the moment. They figured, well, let's get the dad on board too. This is all gonna be better. Let's just get everybody on the same page. I said, it's not gonna happen. So I get a letter from BC Children's Hospital in December of 2018. And it says that under the BC Infants Act, they will start injecting my child with cross-sex hormones. And I have two weeks to respond with legal action if I so choose. And so that's how I ended up in court because I did respond with legal action. So you called your daughter a she and you, you went to jail for that? It's considered criminal violence to uh, not use the preferred pronouns. It is no different than let's say I were to take a broomstick and whack one of my kids over the head. So they were treating it in a similar fashion that misgendering, mispronouning my child was the equivalent of family violence. Is she on the hormone pills now? She is. The court ordered that she could do whatever she wanted. Now, what happened to the, the man in that clip is becoming common in Canada. Fathers are now often required in a supposedly free country to stay quiet as doctors castrate their children. And that's exactly what these off-label hormones do. They sterilize girls and women. Um, they cause all kinds of other problems, too, including early-onset osteoporosis. We spoke to one person in the documentary who experienced some truly horrible uh, symptoms, but according to, to the court system in Canada, fathers have no right to protect their daughters from any of that. They want to shut those parents up. And now apparently Twitter agrees with the courts in Canada. By the way, um, that father has a sentence, sentencing hearing this week and may be on his way back to jail. Back to jail in a case that began with him simply wanting to raise his daughter as his daughter and refer to her as such. Began with a father not wanting his daughter to be sterilized. So I want you to think about what Twitter is doing here. They're, they're not even accusing me of hate speech, right? They're actually accusing this father, a man who's already been arrested, tried, jailed, had his life destroyed. They're accusing him of committing hate speech against his own daughter, simply because he acknowledges that she is a girl. Now, that was one clip. There's another clip that Twitter objected to as well. Uh, this clip features the aforementioned shop owner, Vietnam War veteran, who used biologically accurate pronouns in response to a trans activist who was accosting him in his store. And here's what that hateful content looks like. How long have you been uh, running the shop here? 25 years. Wow. Now, you had an incident here a little while ago that went really viral online. Uh, lots of reaction in the public. Aberdeen Councilwoman Tiesa Meskis confronted owner Don Sucre about a sign he posted in his store. One day I just put the sign up over here and uh, he came around the corner and I thought, okay, I recognize him. I says, uh, oh, I recognize you. You're our new city councilman. He says, no, I'm your new city councilwoman. So it was, it was kind of on from there. You know what? It's No, what you're spouting is No, it's not. Trans it women are women, sir. That sign is I've been doing this 25 years. I've never had a problem with anybody, whether they're gay, transsexual, anything. Now, you're saying councilman, he, this individual was saying, I'm a woman. Right. And, then, and you said you're not a woman. How, how, how do okay. you know that that person's not a woman? How do I know? Yeah. Well, uh, common sense. Trans women are women! Doesn't, doesn't the science say that if someone identifies as a woman, 
than they are. No, no. Now that's completely bogus. I don't care if you think you're a sheepdog and you come into my store, it don't matter to me. Just don't come in and try to shove that down my throat. If it makes someone feel better, what about their, their feelings? I, mean, I don't give a about their feelings. I'm old. What about the Star Wars universe? Jar Jar Binks, pansexual, do you think? Transgender? Um, why, would I, why would I even care? It's, if it's his truth. Well, it ain't true. You're not a scientist, you're not a gender studies major, or are you? No. no? Okay. How do you know that you're a man? How do I know that I'm a I guess because I got a huh. Well, I guess Don isn't overthinking it. He admits he's not a gender studies major, or at the very least, a doctor. Now, not that this really matters, but how many Americans in this country do you think agree with that store owner? If you ran a poll and said, can men transform into women in an instant, what results do you think you'd get? Now, I asked a poll that says, can men become women? That's the question. Not a poll that asks, do you believe in gender-affirming care? When most people have no idea what that means. If you phrase it simply to people so they understand the question, well, what kind of results do you think you get? Of course, most people would agree with the store owner. The only difference is that most Americans are too afraid to be honest about it because of exactly what happened to that store owner. The store owner was not uh, honest, was, was, was not afraid to be honest, so a mob of activists tried to ruin his life. And now Twitter is once again trying to silence him, and I have to continue to emphasize what makes this so egregious is that it's not simply speech, okay? It's not that the Star Wars shop owner, Don Suker, it's not that they were that he was just giving his opinion about something. This is not his opinion. It's bad enough to silence people who are giving their opinions. We, we should have a society and we should have big tech platforms where you can have an opinion. You can have any opinion about anything and you can voice that opinion. If other people don't like it, they can voice their opinions. And then you have, a, you have a debate about it. That's the way it's supposed to work in a free society. But my point is that this is not his opinion. This is just the truth. And so, yes, they're suppressing free speech, but more importantly, they are suppressing the truth. Now, we reached out to Twitter about their objection to these clips. We've had, uh, we've had, had extensive conversations with them, in fact, behind the scenes about this. Um, so that's the other thing you need to know is that for, on Twitter's end, this is not some algorithmic glitch. Okay, this is a very intentional decision on their part. When they told us that they're going to suppress it and label it hate speech, this was a decision that was made. We know that because we talked to them. And when we talked to them, they said um, that, it's, uh, that it that it's violates their misgendering policy. Now, we asked them, didn't Twitter remove its misgendering policy? Because it was a misnomer. You know, misgendering just means you're correctly gendering someone. Didn't they allow Twitter users to once again refer to others with accurate pronouns instead of inaccurate ones? They did take that language off of their policy. That happened recently. But Twitter told us that actually misgendering is still considered abuse and harassment on the platform. Uh, and they just, they just don't specify it anymore. So they asked us to edit our film to comply with this new rule, this new unspoken rule against using accurate pronouns. And of course, uh, we refused. We're not going to do that. I mean, obviously, we're not going to do that. Which means that the Daily Wire is still going to distribute What is a Woman tonight, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to make it available on Twitter for everyone to see for free. It's going to stream tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. It'll be available thereafter for 24 hours. Whether Twitter, Twitter will let you see it or not, that's what remains unclear. You know, whether they actually tag it with the hate speech label and suppress it, that's the part that we're going to find out. This is a documentary that more than a year after its release is still being suppressed. I mean, think about that. A year later, and they're still suppressing it. They are still terrified of this movie. They do not want you to see it. The reason for that is obvious. They know that it's effective. They know that they can't answer even the most basic questions about their ideology. And that's the reason that sane people uh, aren't calling for, you know, bans on trans activists, by the way. We're, we, we're not returning the favor. When Elon Musk took over Twitter, we weren't saying ban all the trans activists. We aren't, we're not trying to kick them off of the platforms and silence them. On the contrary, we want to debate them. We, we want them to speak. We want them to be able to speak. We want, we want us to be able to speak. We want you to hear the contrast. In fact, that's one of the great ironies of this whole thing. 
Twitter's attempt to suppress us, all the other censorship that we faced. What makes it so ironic is that for most of the film, we allow the trans activist side to speak. They're constantly complaining, let us speak, let our voices be heard. And this movie is us saying, okay, here you go. Hey, the stage is yours. Let's hear your side. Most of the movie consists of them speaking. We give them the floor. We give them the the camera and the microphone because we want people to hear them. We want their ideology to be fully exposed. And if that ideology is going to hang, we want it to hang itself. And we want you to see it hanging itself. And it did. And that's the main reason why they hate this movie so much. Because we didn't go around arguing with them and yelling at them. We just asked them questions and said, here you go. Tell us all, tell us all about your, your position. And they humiliated themselves. All the supposed experts, the doctors, all these people that were told, trust the experts. Well, we went to the experts. We put cameras in front of their faces. And we said, okay, experts, give us your spiel. And they came off like idiots and maniacs. That's not our fault. That's on them. If Twitter's ever going to be a free speech platform, which Elon Musk says he badly wants it to be, then um, these people cannot be allowed to suppress speech. Twitter likes to throw out the freedom of speech is not freedom of reach argument, but that's a cowardly dodge. It's no different than Idi Amin's famous quote, there's freedom of speech, he said, but I can't guarantee freedom after speech. Now, there's still time for Twitter to reverse this decision. If it wants to be a free speech platform, it must reverse this decision. This is a time for choosing. Twitter has to pick a side. Everyone has to pick a side. Either you are fully on the side of sanity and freedom and common sense, or you are against it. You got to choose. It it is one or the other. There's no middle ground. One or the other. It's always been that way. Now, as for us, in the meantime, no matter what happens, we are not going to self-censor. And we are definitely not going to bow to the censors in Silicon Valley. We, we hope you'll watch the film tonight at 8 p.m. Introduce it to as many people as you can. Watch it, share it, make sure people see it. And we hope you'll continue to check uh, The Daily Wire and its Twitter feeds and everything we're doing throughout Pride Month because we have a lot planned. Um, and if Twitter's actions this week tell us anything, it's that this fight is, if anything, even more important today than it was a year ago. It also shows that we are winning. We are winning. And they are scared. And that's why they try to silence us. But we will not be silenced, no matter what. Now let's get to our five headlines. Picture, if you will, the perfect summer night, the warm breeze on your face as you lounge in your favorite chair outside the grill, sizzling with juicy burgers. The aroma of the food is irresistible. Your mouth waters as you wait for it be cooked to perfection. Now imagine what this perfect summer night would look like if you went to turn on the grill and your propane tank is empty. It's a tragedy. And that's where my friends at Cinch come in and they can save the day and avert tragedy. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule. Doesn't require any long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless, which means you don't have to wait around at home. You can track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Whether you're grilling for the sweet baby gang, camping with your family, lighting up your fire pit on a cold summer night, whatever it is, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures that you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment and every night. Go online to cinch.com or download their app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just $10 with promo code Walsh. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com, promo code Walsh. This is a limited time offer and you must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. So visit cinch.com slash offer for details. Speaking of uh, winning, this is music to my ears. Daily Wire reports, by the end of the day Tuesday, the plummet in Target share prices reached the longest losing streak the chain has suffered in almost five years. Target share prices have fallen for eight straight days, plunging another 3.66% uh, on Tuesday, reaching um, uh, $133 as the store has lost a staggering $12 billion in market value in the last 14 days. Um, and this is all in the wake of the consumer boycott triggered by its LGBTQ merchandise. Target CEO Brian Cornell stated to employees last week, quote, what you've seen in recent days went well beyond discomfort. It's been gut-wrenching to see what you've confronted in our aisles. Um, and that was him, you know, trying to make themselves the victim of this. 
the victim of their own choices and their own behavior and their own decision to push the LGBT stuff and the trans stuff on kids. And now they are, they're suffering the consequences of this. I mean, this is, look, the, the Bud Light boycott was a really big deal because it was the first and because it was a, a uh, you know, because of the symbolic nature of it. Um, and that's the argument that, as you know, I made all along. It's not just about Bud Light. It's the symbolism here. Okay. Basically, we, we take Bud Light and we, we put its head on a, on a pike. Uh, okay. On the, you know, at the entrance of the town to, sh- to, to show the other woke corporations, this is what we can do. This is what this, we can actually do this to you. We can, we can destroy you. And if you show contempt for us, as you have for so many years, and you spit in our face, and you, you, you try to shove this stuff in our face and in our kids' faces, this is what we'll do to you. So that, that was the great significance of the Target, of, of the boy, uh, Bud Light boycott, rather. Target boycott also has incredible symbolic significance, but then, but it, it's on, on top of that, just the, the, the fact that a, a, you know, a company like this, Bud Light is one thing. It's a big victory, but Bud Light is a product, just one product, easily replaced by any, uh, many other products that taste just as bad as it and are just as cheap. Um, Target, different deal though. You know, Target is, um, is a much bigger fish to fry. And the fact that they've sustained this kind of damage this quickly is, uh, I mean, it, 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 it would be hard to overstate the significance of it. Now, just like we said with Bud Light, it only really matters if we sustain it. So if conservatives are happy with this and they say, well, we got the purely symbolic victory and now we'll go back to shopping at Target again. You know, if we do that, then it doesn't really mean anything. In fact, the symbolism at that point works against us because then the woke corporations can see that, okay, yeah, if you do the woke stuff, uh, you'll upset them for a few weeks and they'll be mad about it. And, you know, maybe they won't shop there for a few weeks, but they'll, they'll always come back. That's the message that we would send. Um, but I feel pretty confident. I think it's different. Things are just different now. Um, and I don't, I think there are a lot of people, and I've talked to many, uh, many people in this boat, just normal people with families, you know, moms and dads. Talk to many of them who say, we're just done with Target. We're not going back to Target. Okay, for, for a lot of families, it's like Target is very much a part of the weekly routine. You end up going to Target once or twice a week. Um, but then when you say, okay, I'm cutting Target out. We're going to figure out how to live without Target. You, you discover pretty quickly that, oh, okay, yeah, it's actually pretty easy to, well, it's, we don't need Target. We have these other places we can go. And once people figure that out, that they don't really need you, um, then you're in trouble. And Target has also sustained the kind of brand damage that Bud Light sustained. Now, I think for a lot of people, they, they wouldn't want to be seen walking into a Target. Uh, you wouldn't want to be seen carrying Target bags around. I mean, to be, to, be, to be seen walking out of a Target, carrying the Target bag with the Target symbol, uh, it's like you're a groomer too. That's the kind of branding. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. And uh, I think that kind of branding has set in, and that's a that's a major problem for Target. Hard to recover from that. So things are different now. Um, and they're different for a lot of reasons. One of them is just sheer exhaustion. After a while, people get fed up. And the LGBT activists, they've been running roughshod over the culture for years. And they've been getting everything they want and getting more bold about it and more outlandish and more egregious and more grotesque. Uh, and they keep pushing it and keep pushing it and keep pushing it. And then eventually people say, I mean, even a lot of the people that went along with it because they were too afraid or they didn't care, they were lack, you know, they were, they were uh, uh, apathetic about it. Many of them are now saying, this is too much. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted with it. Just stop. Leave us alone. And the thing is, once, the bat, once people get sick of it, you know, they don't really, they don't end up drawing the line at the most recent, most egregious thing that you did. 
They draw it all the way back at the beginning. And they say, we don't want any of this. Just leave us alone. Get it all out of here. Which is why now there's an attitude by many people on the right that, um, yeah, we don't want uh, anything that promotes gender ideology or transgenderism to kids. We don't want the really super uh, extreme stuff, satanic merchandise for kids. We don't want that. We also, you know what we're saying now? We don't even, we don't want pride flags at all. We don't, don't, don't even, we don't even want to see the pride flag. We don't want any of it. That's what many on the right are saying, and I'm glad they are. I mean, I, that's where I've been all along, but uh, I'm glad that um, this is becoming the mainstream view on the right. And you know whose fault it is. I mean, it's all their fault. If you're an LGBT activist and you're feeling very persecuted by this, and you're saying, what happened? Now we can't even fly a pride flag without you? Well, that's yeah, your fault. You know, you couldn't, if you had uh, just stopped at like where you were at say, in say the year 2017, okay, if you had stopped there and you said, oh, okay, we basically won and you just stopped, then probably none of this would happen. But you kept going and you kept pushing and now you're reaping the consequences of that. And I'm so glad that you are. Uh, more evidence of the consequences. Newsweek has this report. An anti-Target song topped the iTunes sales chart on Tuesday, prompting cheers from conservatives despite negligible performance on streaming apps like Spotify. Okay, so they're always, I don't know why I'm reading the Newsweek article about this. So the, the real story is that this is an anti-Target rap song that is the, the, the number one song on all of iTunes. And of course, Newsweek tries to say, well, it's the number one on iTunes, but, uh, but it's not streaming as much on Spotify. You know, yeah, that's, that's cope. The fact is that this is a, this is a, a, a rap song calling Target, accusing Target of grooming kids, accusing them because that's what they're doing, and it's the number one song on iTunes. Let's uh, let's listen to that song a little bit. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. Attention all shoppers, attention all shoppers. Yeah, yeah. There's a cleanup yeah. on every aisle. Yeah, yeah. Target yeah. is targeting yeah. your kids. Yeah. They put a target on my back, but they're targeting your kids. They don't even need to ask because you on the way. There's a little clip of that. That's the anti-Target song. I, I love the fact that they recorded this in a Target. I don't know how that, you know, I, every time I see these, uh, whether it's a music video or it's, you see this with TikTok videos a lot, where they go into these stores and they record big musical numbers. And um, I don't know, how, it's like, how do you even... Well, I was going to ask, how do you get away with that? But then again, like you can go into these stores and just fill your cart with merchandise and not pay for it. You can go into these stores with a with a with a black plastic trash bag and fill it with merchandise and walk out, and they're not going to stop you. So I guess yeah, you can record a a music video. So I love the fact that they went to a Target to record an anti-Target music video and nobody stopped them, uh, and that's fantastic. But this shows how far-reaching this is. That this is not just a Twitter phenomenon. Um, you know, the dip in the, in the stock price and the sales and the, the, the dip in sales and all that obviously shows that as well. But um, this shows that this is, a, this is a cultural phenomenon. And the real terrifying reality for the left is that on the right, we figured out how to move these things from Twitter and social media and the podcast world into the quote unquote real world. That's always been the key. You know, we've always been able to talk about these things on podcasts and get a lot of attention that way, uh, talk about it on social media, as long as the big tech, you know, w- w- even working around censorship from big tech. So we've always been able to do that. But then the, uh, the disconnect was how do you take it? You take something that among conservatives is a, is a big deal, you know, in that space, in the kind of cyber bubble. How do you take it from there and bring it out to the, to the rest of the world, to the physical world. And what the left is seeing is that we're starting to figure out that formula. And they are, they are very frightened by that. And they should be. All right, let's move to this. You know, we know that safe, legal, and rare, um, the, the, those days of the pro-abortion movement are long, long gone, long since gone. 
And every day we get more evidence of that, including this new video from Planned Parenthood. Let's watch a little bit of this. Hi. Hi, my name is Lucky. I've had an abortion and I get gender affirming care from Planned Parenthood. I wound up in a very, very difficult relationship. And within three months, I found out that I was pregnant. I was like, oh no. My abortion was one of the greatest acts of compassion I had ever committed. It was an easy decision. And it was a decision that for the friends I had told I was trans, they were like, get it. You know, that's fine, like, great, you know. That's your decision. You want to finally begin your life. And it was just one of the best decisions I had ever made, ever in my life. I wish that more people understood that abortion is healthcare, plain and simple. It's important to talk about abortion in a healthcare setting because I think that when we don't, we see abortion as this very, very uncommon, isolated thing, and it's not. It needs to be shared and it needs to be out there, just like any other thing that people go through. I tell my abortion story because people need to understand that it's not just a women's rights issue, it is a people's rights issue. Hmm, okay. Abortion is not a women's rights issue. Well, that's news to the feminists. Uh, you know, you might want to let the feminists know about that because, of course, they've been saying for decades that not only is it a women's rights issue, but if you're not a woman, then you have no right to have an opinion about it. Um, and now, so those days are over. Well, now we know those days are over. As, as soon as we uh, get to the point where we can't define the word woman, as soon as the people who are making that claim, well, you can't talk about this unless you're a woman. If they can't tell you what a woman is, then, that, then that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. So we already know that. But so this is just more, this is more reinforcement of that, uh, of that claim. Every time you hear this from the pro-abortion activists, uh, especially the post, post-abortive pro-abortion activists, women, and that is a woman, uh, women who've had abortions and are now pro-abortion activists, and, and that's the case, you know, it's, the vast majority of pro-abortion activists are, you know, have had abortions themselves, and that's why they're doing this. That's why they're, they become activists because they're trying to rationalize their own choices. And anytime you hear them talk, it, it, it sounds exactly like conversations we've all had with other people. Maybe not about abortion, but we've all been in conversations with other people where they're talking to us um, about something that they've done, you know, a decision that they made. And they're explaining to us why it was good that they did this. And we can tell that they're not really talking to us Right? You've had this conversation like this many times. The person you're talking to, you can tell they're not really talking to you. They're talking to themselves. Everything that they're saying, it's not to you. It's like you might as well be a mirror. They are, they are talking to their own reflection. They're trying to convince themselves of what they are saying. And so it becomes a mantra. And we find this on the left on nearly every issue, especially when it comes to gender, when it comes to abortion. They have all these mantras that they repeat because they're trying to convince themselves of something. Abortion is good. Abortion is good. I'm happy I got an abortion. Abortion is compassionate. Trans women are women. Trans women are women. Trans women are women. I mean, oftentimes you'll hear them literally just screaming the mantra over and over and over again. Desperately trying to convince themselves of something that they don't even believe. And that is always going to be the thing, one of the things that makes the debates about these issues uh, oftentimes fruitless, if not impossible. It's because there's one side, you know, allegedly you have two sides of an issue. One side believes one thing, one side believes the other. That's not actually the case because one side doesn't really believe what they're saying. And so you're trying to convince them of something you're trying, to con- you're, you're, you're trying to persuade them away from a position that they don't really hold. This woman, does she really believe that abortion is compassionate? What the hell does that even mean? Compassionate, by definition, means it's something you're doing for someone else. Okay, that's why the co, you have the co, co, uh, co-passion, compassion. That's the etymology of the word, co-passion. 
um, and passion, in this case, suffering. So it is, you are suffering. An actual compassionate act is when you are suffering alongside someone. You're taking on their suffering. You're making a sacrifice for someone. That's what compassion means. And so, uh, well, abortion was the most compassionate thing I've ever done. What that tells us, first of all, is that you are a narcissist. You're a pathological narcissist that you apparently never engage in any kind of compassion or selfless act in your life if abortion was the most compassionate thing you've ever done. But um, so if compassion means that you are uh, sacrificing something for someone else, so who, when you get an abortion, you're sa- what are you sacrificing and who are you sacrificing it for? You're sacrificing your child's life for him? You're sacrificing your child's life for his sake, taking his life away for his sake. You've decided that your child, well, he doesn't need his life. He wouldn't want his life anyway. Well, take it away. I'm doing it for him. You know, we could, you, you could take the, uh, and someone should really do this, um, the what is a woman strategy. Uh, you, you could take that and apply it to the pro-abortion movement. There's a whole what is a woman type film to be made about abortion. And you could structure it around what is a person, you know, what is a human what is a quote-unquote fetus? But whatever question you structure around it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. The main point is, let these people speak. Ask them questions. Because what you'll find is that they can't, they have mantras and they have slogans and that's all they have. They don't have anything besides that. If you really, if you really dig in and you try to get them to elaborate, they'll fall apart. So that woman can sit doing a, Planned Parenthood propaganda video, and she's talking to no one. She's talking to a camera, and she can say all these things, and that's fine. But if you were in the room with her and she was talking to you, and you let her speak, and she said, well, abortion is a compassionate. If you simply said, well, what what do you mean? How how so? How's it compassionate? Everything falls apart in that moment. She would not be able to explain what she means by that. And if she did explain it, it would sound horrifying. Horrifying. Because she would actually have to say, well, uh, it's compassionate for the, for the, you know, for the, for the fetus, quote unquote. Oh, so you're compassionate, compassionate, killing someone is compassionate for them. All these people can ever do is engage, it's like all they have is very surface level. They, they can only engage on the surface. If you go one inch beneath the surface... Okay, if you dig in one inch beneath the surface, what you find is horrifying and insane. Speaking of insane, we got to get to the comment section. Um, so we're going to cut the five headlines a little bit, little bit shorter than usual. But I did also want to mention this. A Washington, D.C. area, this is from Yahoo News, area activist wants anger management treatment for his attacker after he said he was brutally beaten on the street for attempting to be a good Samaritan. Adam Theo, a veteran, and a criminal justice reform advocate and former independent candidate for the Arlington County Board in North Virginia, tweeted photos of the cuts and bruises to his neck and face, uh, and they said that he incurred when he tried to intervene in a public domestic dispute in Clarendon on Memorial Day weekend. Theo wrote, bad news, I'm no longer beautiful. This evening when walking home, I passed a young guy arguing with, I presume, his girlfriend. He starts getting violent with her, pushing her around, trying to rip off her clothes. I intervened and got the S beat out of me. I lost count after punch number six. His girlfriend pulled him back long enough for me to stumble away, but not far enough as he broke away from her and went for another series of blows, about 15 in total, I think. Samaritans came to aid and called 911 with the guy dragging the woman away screaming. Last I heard while sitting in Virginia Hospital Center, he'd not yet been caught. Uh, Assuming Arlington uh, PD catches him, I want to pursue restorative justice. I want programs to deal with such anger and possibly substance abuse Jail doesn't fix people. It releases, releases problems back into society even worse than they went in. So he's remaining committed to this. Uh, some, some people have said, even begrudgingly, I've seen some conservatives say, well, you got to respect, at least he's being consistent. And now he's assaulted and he's, he, even he is saying, well, let's just do, we need restorative justice for the person who assaulted me. I don't respect it at all. I mean, it's, this is absolutely pathetic. This is someone who um, is, is so depraved in his thinking that even after he's okay he watches a woman get assaulted and her clothes are being ripped off and he steps in so he's good for stepping in and he gets assaulted and he still can't bring himself to say yes this is someone who needs to go to prison now he's actually he's correct that jail isn't going to fix 
people. Oftentimes it doesn't. I mean, it can. There are people who actually reform themselves in jail, but uh, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And in many cases it doesn't. And it releases problems back into society. So what's a way to fix that? I mean, there, 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 so there are two ways that we can respond to that. If it's true that when you take a violent, uh, degenerate person, you put them in jail, uh, and then you release them from jail, they're going to be even worse than they went in, and you're releasing a problem back into society, there are two ways of responding to that. One is to say, well, let's not put them in jail at all, and let's keep the problem in society. Let's not even try to do anything about it. The other potential response is, is to say, well, okay, well, then let's not release them back into society. Let's keep them in jail. Let's potentially keep them in jail forever. And if the crime is egregious enough, um, let's release them from jail in a coffin because we execute them. That's the other way of responding. And I think that makes a lot more sense. This idea, well, we need to, he needs to work on his anger issues. What what is that? What do you mean work on his anger issues? Do you think this person doesn't know that you aren't supposed to brutalize and beat up women and try to rip their clothes off and then beat up a random stranger who tries to stop you? You think he doesn't know that? You think he just needs uh, counseling so someone can inform him? Hey, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, really? I'm not. I said, no idea. Or do you think he's an animal and that needs training? He's not a human being. That's probably what you think. Now, in reality, here's, here's the thing. This is a, the, the man who was doing that is a man, a human, making a conscious choice. He's choosing to act that way and be that kind of person. He's aware that he shouldn't. He's capable of not acting that way. He could make another choice, but he is choosing to act that way. This is a, this is a moral decision that he has made. And when you start thinking of it like that, you realize that, okay, this is a problem that goes a lot deeper than working on your anger issues. Like this is someone who's corrupted down to their soul, that they would make choices like this. And when you have someone corrupted down to their soul, down to that level, what, what can you do with them? Well, you put them in prison, you put them in a cage, and you keep them there for a long time. That's the solution. Maybe, you know, I say it's a solution might not be a solution for them. It's, not, it's no guarantee that it's going to make them a better person, but it's a solution for society. All right, let's get to the comment section. Later today, join me live for a signing of the book version of What is a Woman on All Access at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. So it's coming up uh, very soon. In fact, the signed copies will be available in my swag shack over at dailywire.com shop. Anyone can purchase a copy, but only Daily Wire Plus All Access members can watch the signing. Sign up now if you haven't already. Go to dailywire.com shop to secure your signed copy of What is a Woman. And don't miss out on joining me at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time at dailywire.com discuss. Star Barbara says, I'm so sick of both sides of this. Can't we all just bloody get along and live? Um, No, Barbara, we cannot. Uh, We cannot all simply get along. Um, It would be nice if we could, but that's not the reality. And it's also a cop-out to say you're sick of both sides of this. you've You've got one side responding to the actions of the other. I think you were, you were uh, in particular, responding to um, you know, the subject of the, the grooming of kids and the promoting of all this degeneracy. Well, you've got one side doing that, and then the other side saying, stop doing that. So when you say you're sick of both sides, what does that mean? But no, we can't, we can't get along as long as this kind of evil is being perpetrated. Get along means uh, ignore that it's happening. See, you can't get along, as I'm always trying to explain, um, unity in a, in, a, in a country. I mean, I would like to have unity. I would love to have it. If, if I could flip a switch and magically make uh, a unified country appear out of thin air, I would, I would do it. I would flip that switch, for sure. But the problem is that you can't have unity unless you are unified around something. Unity for unity's sake doesn't, isn't real. Like if you go up to somebody on, on, on the street, some random stranger, and you say, hey, let's be unified. 
Let's be unified. What's the first question they're going to ask you? They're going to say, what do you mean, unified for what? They're going to say, unified for what? What do you mean? For what reason? What do you mean? What are, we, what, are we, what are we being unified around? I'm not just going to agree, sight unseen, to be unified with you in some sort of effort unless I know what the effort is. Um, and that's the case in the, the country, in the culture. That in order to be unified, we need to be united around something. I mean, there needs to be some underlying principle, uh, some commonality that we are united around. And when it comes to the culture war, yeah, there can be unity, but it's going to be unity on one side or the other. Unity will come when one side loses and all the stragglers surrender to the other side. That's the only way that unity happens. Because the, the divide, the chasm between the two is too deep and too wide. Like there's no middle ground there. So it's just one side or the other wins. Or everybody loses and civilization collapse, collapses. You know, that, you know, like. Could be some unity in that as well. So those, those really are the three options. Um, it's not very fun to think about, but that's it. Uh, another comment says, Anthony Bass is also the husband of the pregnant wife popcorn incident on American Airlines a few weeks ago. I knew I'd recognize his name somewhere. So that was it. I, you know, as we were talking about Anthony Bass, I, 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 I felt as if we had recently talked about him for something else and I couldn't remember what it was. But yeah, that was it. So he was the guy, his wife was, was on a plane with their child and they fed their child popcorn, which is a, a terrible mistake in the first place to give your children popcorn out in public somewhere, unless you're in a movie theater, because nobody cares if movie theaters are, are gross and disgusting and destroyed. Uh, and the child left the popcorn debris all over the plane, and the flight attendant asked the, the mom to pick it up, and she was uh, traumatized by that. So that's Anthony Bass. Now it all sort of makes sense. And we're just going to skip finally this this comic, because I thought it was important. Matt, can you do a fast food tier list? That would be a great watch. I can, and thank you for that question. Um, so fast food tiers, right? Well, not tiers, but I, I could do a ranking. And the first thing to keep in mind is that when we want to rank fast food, a lot of people get this wrong, but you want to separate fast food from fast casual. Big mistake people often make in the fast food ranking game is to, uh, is to include fast casual places in the fast food category, which isn't really fair because obviously five guys would win. It would be the number one fast food place, but it's not really fast food. It's fast casual. Uh, Panera Bread is, you know, fast casual, not fast food. Although Panera Bread is disgusting. Chipotle, you know, not in it. So I'm taking fast casual out of it. I'm also taking sub shops out of it. For including sub shops, Jersey Bikes would be number one, but I'm not including them. And they're out of it. And then we're left with kind of like your standard drive-through fast food chains and here's the top three, counting down from uh, three to one. Three is McDonald's, and it's a classic. Um, it's a staple, relatively reliable. I didn't say it's good. It's relatively reliable. You know what you're going to get. It's more reliable than, uh, than, than Burger King. It's also better than Burger King. And the other reason that I, put, uh, that I put McDonald's in the top three is that it still has the best breakfast. Nobody has managed to beat the sausage McMuffin. Um, it still remains, it, it still reigns as the king of, of fast food breakfast. So McDonald's is number three. Number two is Chick-fil-A. Putting all the wokeness aside, just judging based on the food, it is number two. Um, and number one, and this is a thing that people often get the most wrong, number one is Arby's. Arby's is the best fast food place, hands down. They have the best fries. Um, I'll take their roast beef sandwich over any of the fast food burger options. And it's not really up for debate. So that's it. McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Arby's. It's official. If you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11, and uh, the now season two of What We Saw is in full swing. In episode 12, a change of command comes too late to reverse the situation in Southeast Asia as Richard Nixon's, Nixon's program of Vietnamization uh, eases America out of its worst directed war. But long before the last American serviceman leaves Vietnam, a new generation of liberators rise to the challenge of saving American tactics, weaponry, and doctrine from themselves. Uh, Bill makes you feel like you're there witnessing history firsthand. Hear this amazing story in this week's episode of Cold War. New episodes of the Cold War come out every week, but you have to be a member to see it. So go to dailywire.com slash cold war to start watching. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. The public school system gets a lot of criticism for grooming and indoctrinating children, and uh, for good reason. It's guilty on both counts. 
But perhaps the greatest problem, the greatest problem with the public school system, one certainly not unrelated to the uh, first two issues that I just mentioned, is that it makes people dumber. You know, Americans are actually becoming dumber over time. This has been objectively observed. And the public school system is largely to blame for this intellectual decline. It must be to blame for it. It is the education system. It is the system we have come up with to educate people en masse. And if people are getting dumber, that is, that is always going to be an indictment, first and foremost, on that education system. This week provides us with an example, another example, to illustrate the entire scope of this problem. Indoctrination, intellectual decline, and how the two are linked. So this comes to us from a group called the Skeptic Research Team, which published a report that begins with this introduction. Quote, for decades in the U.S., and particularly in the last few years, journalists and intellectuals have suggested that white people are socially or morally deviant. Time Magazine, for example, published the claim that white supremacy is the foundational principle of the culture in the U.S., uh, preventing non-whites from having perfect hair, perfect clothes, perfect grades, or regarded as a perfect employee and colleague. In 2020, the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture claimed rational thinking and hard work are white supremacist ideals that oppress non-white people. In a recent opinion editorial, Savala Nolan, the executive director of the Center for Social Justice at UC Berkeley School of Law, said, white people disappoint me. They frustrate me. They make me sad. Meanwhile, books describing the immorality of white people, such as Caste, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and White Fragility have all soared to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Given these opinions, in this report, we ask, what does the public really think about the apparent immorality of white people? So that's what they're trying to explore. And to come up with an answer to that question, they conducted a study and they asked respondents a series of questions. The answers to all of the questions were quite concerning, but I just want to focus on one. This is one of the questions they asked. They asked various groups of people how much they agree with the following statement. And the statement is this. Prior to the arrival of the European settlers, Native Americans slash indigenous tribes lived in peace and harmony. That was, the, that was the statement. Let's see how the answers break down along various demographic lines. The, the majority of those who self-identified as liberals agreed with this statement. 71% of those who called themselves uh, very liberal agreed with it. 59% of political moderates agreed to some extent with the statement that Native tribes lived in peace and harmony. While even self-identified conservatives and even very conservative people agreed at a rate of nearly 50%. You look at the question along racial lines, we see that 75% of black respondents agreed, with 20% strongly agreeing. 63% of Hispanics agreed, along with 45% of whites. The uh, generational breakdown gives us similar percentages. Gen Z agreed at a rate of 71%. For millennials, it's 65%. Gen X, it's 57%. And boomers was 41%. So all in all, we see that huge percentages of Americans believe that the tribal people who lived here before first contact with Europeans were angelic, peaceful creatures who did not know war or strife or violence. This, this entire hemisphere was a place of love and peace and kindness, and all the tribes sat together around the fire holding hands and singing songs of togetherness. Basically, these people think that Disney's Pocahontas was a documentary. They probably even believe that the natives could talk to trees and animals. Um, that, that appears to be the prevailing point of view, thanks in large part to the public school system, because this is what the public school system basically teaches. Now, what can we say about all this? Well, first, we must say that these people are wrong, for the record. Stupendously, breathtakingly wrong. I shouldn't need to clarify or explain this, but apparently I do. Native tribes did not live in harmony, and they certainly didn't live, didn't live in peace, unless we're spelling peace, P-I-E-C-E. -E. I mean, they did live or at least die in pieces after getting hacked apart, dismembered, scalped by their enemies. So if you mean peace in that sense, you would be sort of correct, but that's not what it's meant in this context. These poll respondents think that native tribes existed in a state of perfect kinship and tranquility. If they had a disagreement, they would resolve it, I suppose, with sternly worded letters, which actually wouldn't have been possible anyway, because native tribes never invented a written language, or the wheel for that matter. And there wasn't much kinship or tranquility either. On the contrary, these tribes existed in a state of constant warfare. They fought all the time. They didn't just have wars. You know, they, wasn't, they had a war and then a period of relative peace. It didn't work that way. Instead, they were always at war. They were always fighting. And 
And this is an important point, too. The fighting was more brutal, more barbaric, more deadly than the kind of warfare that Europeans and other civilized people of the time engaged in. And here I'm not just referring to the fact that many native tribes scalped, dismembered, and sometimes ate their enemies, or the fact that civilizations like the Aztecs captured prisoners by the thousands and then cut their still beating hearts out of their chests as human sacrifices. Um, That's partly what I'm referring to, but that's not the full story. The other thing that made tribal warfare so uniquely brutal, and this is something that Lawrence Keeley explains in in depth in his book, uh, War Before Civilization, which is worth reading if you haven't, is that tribes, they they didn't fight pitched battles, okay? These were not formal engagements on the battlefield, uh, which, especially at the time among European countries, that's what war meant. Like they meet on a battlefield and they uh, charge towards each other and they try to kill each other. Among native tribes, instead, they sent raiding parties, and often at night, um, and simply slaughtered entire tribes. There's no battle. It's just like we're, they're going to show up in the middle of the night and uh, when, when the other side is not armed, not ready, and kill everybody. That's what they did. Men who were ca- captured would, would not be held as prisoners of war. They would be murdered on the spot or tortured and then murdered. Women and children were often killed as well or else they were taken as slaves. And I'm not, I'm not describing random rare exceptions or isolated incidents here. This is how the native tribes conducted themselves. It's what life was like for centuries all across the hemisphere before Europeans made contact. It was a brutal, violent, bloodthirsty place. Now, this is where the guilty, self-loathing modern American quickly responds, oh, okay, but that doesn't excuse all the violence that white people committed against indigenous people. But the point is not that we're making excuses. Although, in fact, it does excuse at least some of the violence. Because the point is that that the first settlers that came here, they didn't all come with a sinister plan to wipe out the native inhabitants. In many cases, they landed on these shores and they were met with violence which they then responded to in self-defense. And you also have to see it from, and I know that we're not allowed to say this, if we could see it from their perspective, which is very hard to do 500 years later, but from their perspective, they land here, they encounter people in loincloths or fully naked who don't have a written language, don't even have the wheel, are living 3,000 years in the past from their perspective, and then they see brutality unlike anything they'd ever witnessed in their lives or could even imagine. Okay, like, can you imagine actually seeing someone get their heart cut out of their chest while they're still alive? And so put it, like, can you just try to think of it from their perspective for a moment? They come here, they don't know what they're going to get into. They don't know, you know, they they don't know anything. It's like they don't have the internet. Um, They show up, they encounter these people, these primitive people, They see barbarism, cannibalism, uh, hearts being ripped out of chest, dismemberment, scalping. And they arrive at certain conclusions about the people that they see doing this. Conclusions that, are we going to say, were totally unreasonable? One of the conclusions that they arrive at is that, um, that, well, we need to be, these people are a threat to us. Is that an unreasonable conclusion from their perspective 500 years ago? But this is not simply about assigning uh, blame. That's not the question. More importantly, this is about understanding history, not just understanding one historical event, but understanding history in general, understanding the history of the world and of humanity. The people who believe in the noble savage myth are confused about that period of history. They're blinded by their white guilt or their hatred of white people. But what's perhaps even more troubling is that they have apparently no grasp on the general course of history, which means they have no grasp on humanity, on human nature. And if they don't understand history and they don't understand human nature, then they don't understand themselves. These people are clueless at the deepest levels. In an effort to take all the sins of mankind, sins shared by all, and place them entirely at the feet of the white man, they end up sanitizing history into oblivion. They neuter it. They turn it into a cartoon. And while they demonize white people, in many ways, the non-whites fare even worse because this cartoonish version of native culture, it may succeed in turning native people into victims, but also, it also makes them boring and lame and devoid of any identity aside from their victimhood. The truth is that native culture, and there, there wasn't one native culture, but hundreds, these were warrior cultures. They were fierce and battle-hardened people. 
Yes, they engage in the most abhorrent kinds of brutality, but that doesn't make them all cartoon villains any more than Europeans who also engage in brutality were cartoon villains. They were simply people who lived in a different time, governed by a very different set of rules, and who had very different assumptions and presuppositions about the world. It is important to understand that if you want to understand anything about history. And that is why the noble savage myth that so many Americans who've been mentally corrupted by the school system, by the media, uh, is today canceled. And that'll do it for the show today, as we, uh, or rather for this part of the show, because we're going over the members block. You become a member today by using code Walsh to check out for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.